Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. Over the last few weeks, we've been examining the amazing events surrounding the historical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we've learned something of the importance of that doctrine, one of those crucial issues which the Christian must believe in order to be saved. And it has implications and benefits for the individual believer right to this very day. And there were witnesses. None of those events happened in secret. And that's an argument Paul used when he testified before King Agrippa in Acts 26.26. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. The resurrection of Jesus was common knowledge. It was the topic of conversation in Jerusalem and in Judea at that time. In modern terms, we might say it was headline news. But there is more. Jesus now has a resurrection body. The first of many people who will have such a body. Human flesh made what it was intended to be before the fall and fully ready and equipped to live with God in the new heaven and new earth forever and ever. Jesus will leave this world, and he will go to dwell in heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. And we read about this very event in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 12. Open your Bible, and we'll read that passage together. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now that passage, the passage we have just read together from the book of Acts, is an amazing, dramatic account of a pivotal event in the life of the early church. 
We have in this passage Christ's final statement to his disciples in this world, the very key to everything else that is going to happen in the book of Acts. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But our objective in this episode is to introduce to you the doctrine of the ascension of Christ and then in our next two lessons to develop that, to go further and to see the theology of the ascension and to look at its implications for us as Christian believers today. I'm Bob McAvoy and this is the Semper Reformata podcast. So what do you know about the ascension of Christ? I suppose it's not a part of the life of Christ that we often think about or that we hear preached about very often in church. We know all about his virgin birth for, at least in Western society, we have an annual festival that keeps this in the front of our minds, albeit that most of those who actually celebrate the festival care little about the birth of Jesus. And we're continually being reminded about his death on the cross, or at least we ought to be. For in any evangelical church worth its salt, it should be like the Apostle Paul preaching Christ and him crucified. And of course, the death of Christ is the focus of our communion services. And we have an annual festival to mark his resurrection. Perhaps not so popular among our godless society as Christmas, more an excuse for school holidays and excessive consumption of chocolate, but at least it keeps the resurrection events fresh in the minds of those who have experienced the saving power of the risen Christ. But what of the Ascension? Whoever celebrates Ascension Day, the Feast of the Ascension, officially celebrated on a Thursday on the 40th day of Easter, 39 days after Easter Sunday. A fact that was in itself unknown to me up until now. But the Ascension of Christ is such an important event in the life of Christ that some Reformed Church leaders are now making a point of including an Ascension Sunday service in their annual church calendar. There is one more general observation that we need to make about the Ascension. When we think about it, we automatically look to that passage in Acts chapter 1, where Luke records it for us. But it would be wrong to think that that's the only reference to it. It's far more pronounced in the Bible than that. In Luke's Gospel, where Luke concludes his record of the life of Christ with an account of the Ascension. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 51. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And then you have Peter's sermon at Pentecost, shortly after personally witnessing the ascension event itself. 
Peter pointed out there that when God spoke through the prophets of one who would be raised up and taken up to the throne of God to be seated at his right hand, he wasn't talking about David, he was talking about Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus God hath raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Luke talks about the ascension. Peter preaches about the ascension. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus himself talks about the ascension, and there are plenty of references. John 3 and verse 13. And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. John 14, 2-3 In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. John 20 and 17 Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And of course Paul alluded to it in his great Christological hymn in Philippians 2 verse 8-9. to And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which above every name. And back in the Old Testament, the psalmist had lifted his voice in praise to God in anticipation of this event. In Psalm 24, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So the ascension is not a single passage vignette that we can just ignore. It is a theme of the life of Christ. It is deeply embedded in the biblical text and in Christian theology. If only Luke had given us a wee bit more information about this event. It's of huge significance. And that significance is not yet fully realised by Christians. So today... Let's take a few minutes to consider the biblical text that gives us the account of this event in Acts chapter 1. So first of all, it was visible. He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
The disciples saw it happening, and what a thing to see. Can you imagine the effect it must have had upon them? Did you ever have an experience where your heart pounded with excitement? Did you ever stand in amazement and look at the beauty of some beautiful, natural, spectacular scene? Multiply that many times over. The experience of these disciples that day must have been utterly breathtaking. But that's why we have this account. Because there were people there who actually witnessed it happening. Let's look at the actual workings of the event. The actual happening itself. He was taken up. There's great significance in that. One of the liberal commentators who was so well read, William Barclay, Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to him as the most dangerous man in Christendom. He thinks that the reason that Jesus was taken up is because the people in that day and throughout the ages until relatively recently thought that the earth was flat and heaven was somewhere up above us. What nonsense from a foolish old liberal. Isaiah didn't understand the earth to be flat. In Isaiah 40 and 22, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Jesus ascended. He literally did rise up before the eyewitnesses of the disciples, and he ascended into heaven. And there was huge symbolism in that ascension. He rose from this earth to heaven. He rose to an exalted position. Kevin DeYoung, writing on the Gospel Coalition website, says, Having triumphed over death and the devil in his resurrection, Christ ascended into heaven, locally, visibly and bodily, locally in that he specifically left earth below for heaven above, visibly in that the disciples saw with their own eyes as a public event that he departed from them and bodily in that the physical flesh of the Son of God is now no longer with us on earth. But not only was he taken up, he was received into glory. He left this earth and he went into glorious splendour. Can you even begin to imagine the rapturous welcome that Christ God's Son received that day as he ascended into heaven? as he was lauded by the heavenly host, as he took his place upon his throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, having fully satisfied God's justice, having completed his plan of salvation, having demonstrated God's love on the cross, having defeated the works of darkness, Satan, death and the grave, having redeemed the elect. And now he's ascended into glory. We can't imagine that reception. But thankfully the psalmist could. And he expressed it in Psalm 24 when he wrote of the heavenly gates being flung open to welcome the King of glory. Let's worship God together as we sing Psalm 24. Psalm 24, 7 to 10. You ancient gates lift up your heads. You doors be opened wide. So may the King of glory come for ever to abide. But who is this exalted King? What glorious King is he? It is the Lord of strength and might, the Lord of victory. You ancient King.
not only was the ascension of Jesus recorded as being visible, but it was glorious. He was received up into a cloud. Now, if you're familiar with the account of the transfiguration of Jesus, you will know that when he was transfigured, when his heavenly divinity temporarily shone through his earthly humanity, there was a cloud, a bright cloud. A cloud like that would speak to the watching disciples of the glory of God. God being present with them and shielding them from the brightness of his holy presence, just as the veil had hidden Moses' face when it glowed. And here's that cloud again. God the Father present in all his glory, that cloud receiving Jesus that day, reminding the disciples once again that Christ had ascended into heavenly glory. Like those first disciples, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ is an historical event that will warm our hearts. Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. It is absolutely critical in how we as believers understand who Jesus is and where he is right now and what he is doing in relation to us. James Montgomery Boyce in Foundations of the Christian Faith says this, We measure the spirituality of groups or individuals by their perception of the person of Christ. The world likes to think of him as a baby in a manger, an introductory image at best. The Roman Catholic thinks of him as being continually on the cross, and this ties with their repeated sacrifice of the Mass. But for the evangelical, Christ is not only incarnate, crucified and buried, he is risen from the dead and he has ascended to his Father's right hand where he is seated and enthroned as our advocate and our King. So in our next lesson, we'll go a step further and we'll begin to tease out what the Ascension teaches us about who Jesus is and where he is right now. If you appreciate listening to the podcast or getting the CDs and listening in CD form, then you can help me. Please open the podcast app on your mobile phone or your smart device and look for the Semper Reformata podcast. And when you find it, subscribe. And if your podcast app allows, give it a five star rating. That will bring it up the charts slightly and it will help others to find the podcast more easily. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk again next time.